0: She's one of the most powerful women in Chicago politics, but she says she owes her career and her approach to life to a man. To know him, he is
1: Mr. Granite City. He is always out and about. He is always cheerful. He works so hard and he's worked probably the hardest working person I know.
0: That's Chicago City Clerk, Anna Valencia. I'm Marianne Shuck your host of Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to talking about creating lasting legacies through organ and tissue donation. Clark Valencia, how did you get your start in politics?
1: Uh, I'm really excited to be with all of you today. So I actually grew up in Granite City, Illinois, so five hours south of Chicago in the Metro East area that I was born and raised. My dad is a union painter, has been a painter for 37 years, still stripes our streets proudly, My mom worked at a nonprofit for over uh, 20 years. That's where I grew up and the family that I really, really attribute to my success. Their hard work and sacrifices allowed my sister and I to go to college. We were first in our families to graduate college. I went to the University of Illinois. And actually, I started on an internship, a summer internship going into my senior year of college. I worked for a local judge. The funny story, again, I should attribute my career to my father, he was painting this young lawyer's home and was talking to the wife and said, you know, my daughter's really interested in politics and is looking for an internship could, you know, do you know of anything? And I'm pretty sure the wife made her husband hire me (laughs) as an intern that summer. And I loved it. I organized all the parades. I went door to door, knocking on doors, helped with his fundraising and realized that I didn't ever really see a lot of women in political spaces or even, you know, running for office. And I decided to really get involved after 2007. When I graduated college, there was a guy named Barack Obama. You may have heard of him running for president. And I decided to move to Virginia two weeks after my college graduation and work for the state party, the Democratic Party of Virginia. And I lived in supporter housing and I knocked doors seven days a week trying to advocate for people to come out and vote. And my father said I was going through a phase, and that one day I would have a real job. He wanted me to be a lawyer, but I think I, I think I turned out okay. But that's how I really started in getting involved in political campaigns and organizing, and eventually now here as the city clerk of Chicago, uh, serving again as the second woman and second Latina.
0: Absolutely, and as we talk about uh, you being the second Latina, we are actually in the midst of. Hispanic Heritage Month, and how has that shaped your career, being a Latina woman, and really supporting communities throughout your career?
1: I really want to say again, I, I was kind of reflecting, if you will, on Hispanic Heritage Month from a from a young age. Have we where I from in Granite City? It was a mostly white community. However, we had this immigrant part of our city called Lincoln Place, and my grandfather and his brothers and my great uncles all started this group with other uh, community members called the Mexican Honorary Commission. It was a, it started through the St. Louis General Council at the Mexican Gen- General Council. And it's been in existence over 80 years. And I grew up there dancing in fiestas and learning about our heritage and culture, but still understanding in, in, a, in a small town of 25,000 or so being able to hold on to that even going to college and then coming to Chicago. And it's been amazing to be able to create different policies here as city clerk that really touches the lives of our Latino community. We created the city key I know, which we've talked about, which is an ID card for everyone, a municipal ID card, government ID for everyone, but I've really seen how it's been helpful in the immigrant community, especially when folks uh, first come to Chicago and may not be able to get a state ID or driver's license. Being able to get the first ever government ID, library card, CTA card, and prescription discount card for free, and to access these services and discounts around the, the city has been one of the proudest moments of the policies that we've done. Or our fines, fees, and access collaborative as well, and being able to really roll back some of our regressive fines and fees here in the city that's also helped a lot of our community members, um, both in Black and Brown communities, and being able to create policies like like these, really feel is a way to pay tribute to where I'm from and who has brought me up and making sure I'm always giving
0: back. Well, Hannah, we brought you here today to talk about your father's experience and your connection to organ donation. Can you tell us about it? My father, in 2015,
1: his, had kidney failure. And it was actually right after my sister's wedding. And he just seemed a little off. And next thing I know, my mother called us and my dad was in the hospital and they didn't understand what was happening, couldn't figure out exactly what, what was going on, but he was in kidney failure. And at that moment, you know, you go on the internet and you just try to figure out everything that you can't search and find out what was happening. And later we found out that he was going to have to be put on dialysis. Now for my father to know him, he is Mr. Granite City. He is always out and about. He is always cheerful. He works so hard and he's worked probably the hardest working person I know. And he's a union painter and that's a physical labor job. And so I know he was very concerned whether he was gonna be able to carry out and and, um, retire and, and get the years he needed to retire. So we just took it step by step. And I remember going home And my mom was all shook up and didn't understand what might happen because a lot of times that can be a death sentence for many. And no one could tell us how long my father would have on quality of life, how long it would take for a kidney organ, a transplant, you know, the transplant list was long. And so we were just kind of in a rut. My father spent three years on dialysis and to see him really deteriorate was incredibly difficult my father is only 64 and at this time three years ago i was thinking i haven't even had a child yet my dad hasn't even met potentially his grand grandchild and i felt man do i need to have a child right away it's not i wasn't ready but these are the things that my sister and i my brother and i were talking about and every day you know he would get up at 6 a.m and do dialysis before his first he had to be in at 7am and then come home at lunch at noon do another dialysis at home then he would get off work at three o'clock and then do another dialysis and then again at eight o'clock he would do another dialysis he never missed a day of work he never complained we found out how to travel how to get him to chicago to visit or to my sister in kansas city to visit You know, we worked around our schedules around dad's dialysis time. And thank God, thank God technology has changed where he didn't have to go in. We were able to do, he was able to do it from home, but it took a toll on him. And then thankfully, my aunt decided to get tested and she matched. And what's very unique about their story is my father and my aunt are both adopted we did not think that they would have a match of being siblings but both being adopted and she was a match for uh, i was I believe it was a week after i was first elected in 2019 my parents were here my parents were on stage with me we were celebrating my first election and when and then a week later he went in to get his transplant what even more and how god works and timely how timely things are a year later, from no, a year and two weeks after his transplant, my daughter was born, and he was able to see her born. And that, to me, is a gift that I could never repay my aunt ever. That he, that she gave us that gift of life, for my father to have a second chance at life and be able to see his grandchildren grow up. And I will forever be grateful. And so I'm always a big, big advocate of organ donation. Not only. To have it on your listed on your driver's license but we have organ donation for the city key that you can actually choose to be an organ donor on the city key it's um, an intent to donate as well but also advocate being a living donor my aunt stepped up and was you know was able to be a living donor for kidney transplant but i know that's much more common these days even complete strangers doing it for other strangers uh, so i just want to advocate for anyone listening that you can be a blessing and miracle to other people. And I hope that you will choose to sign up to be an organ donor because it is really an opportunity to give
0: someone a second chance of life. Anna, it certainly is. And thank you so much for putting that on the city key card. And I will tell you, uh, my brother is actually in need of a kidney. He's in uh, end stage renal failure, but he's doing extremely well. And my sister, I have a twin, she and I are, going to be tested to see if we can be a match for him. So you're absolutely right. Donation is donation. It doesn't matter how it occurs. We just need it to occur, right? We need to have people advocate for this because organ donation is just as important as voting. It's just as important as getting your driver's license. So uh, I'm so glad to hear this story and tell me how your father and your aunt are doing right now.
1: They are doing amazing. It's funny. I have some photos on my phone. Uh, Pre-pandemic, they actually were invited to, they live near St. Louis. They were invited to the St. Louis Cardinals game for organ donation day. And they got to go on the field together and they had t-shirts made for, I mean, and they talk every day. And I think it's brought them even closer. Um, They speak almost every night. Um, They talk. I think they understand what gifts they have been to each other. And Uh, She lives now in Gulf Shores, Alabama, but over the summer, we were able to see her and and do a visit with our daughter, and she met my daughter for the first time, and it was just a beautiful moment for her to see what she gave to us and seeing my father being able to move. He's, He's still working. He's nine months to retirement. He'll have his full retirement at age 65. We are, you know, keeping him in a bubble. Thank God for the booster shots and the vaccine. He was able to get his booster shot. We said, Dad, just please, can we keep you in a bubble until retirement? Because I really want my mom and my dad to be able to enjoy their full retirement. They raised all of us very well. They should be so proud of the life they've lived. And now they get to go enjoy their life and very excited to be able to see them
0: do that. Congratulations on an amazing father. So how has your father's experience uh, since 2019 shaped your career and how you work with communities to really advocate not only for organ donation, but to advocate for uh, the things that they need? As you mentioned earlier, you know we're just out of the pan- we're not out of it because it's ratcheted back up. but the pandemic and how this pandemic has affected communities of color?
1: my parents really are my why, why I chose to serve and why I choose public service. Politics can be messy. It's not an easy sport to get into or field at times, but it really has been my hope to shape where we go in the political world and to be really a public servant and that next generation of leaders that we need that are focused on how do we do the most for our communities? How do we lift up people out of poverty how do we make sure that working families and middle class families can stay in the middle class? And how are wages and benefits and housing and affordable housing and access to services, access to information? How are we intentionally building that system? Because we know that, you know, for hundreds of years, the system has been built without any of our perspectives. A lot of this government systems were built without people that look like us either you or I, right, or having that perspective. So it's gonna take us a while to unpack that and to really break up that infrastructure and rebuild something that's more equitable. And so that's really what I've decided to dedicate my time to is as city clerk, and in the future, what I'll be doing statewide as well, because I wanna make sure that people have leaders that understand their lived experiences and understand their communities. Because if you don't have that, we're gonna get the same old, same old. We really have to dig deep and allow communities to be at the table making decisions with us um, and not to them, but with us hand in hand. And so that's what I've done with Finds and fees Reform and our Women and Girls Initiative and our Next Gen City Council and and our City Key Initiative and even our City Council Modernization where the first time in Chicago history, you'll be able to see your alderman vote electronically and there'll be transparency in the government to make sure we hold people accountable. So I'll continue to work every day and for the tough days or the hard days. We all have them in our careers. I think of my parents and I think about their sacrifice and what they've done to ensure my sister and I had a different opportunity than they did. And that's what keeps me going that. And now my little girl who also (laughs) looks to me and I hope she sees that her mom, really tried to push the barriers to show that she and other young girls and women deserve to be in executive office and deserve to be in leadership positions.
0: As we talk about Hispanic Heritage Month, what would you like us to know or what would you like our listeners to know about how we can honor and celebrate our Hispanic community, our Latinx and Latina community during this time? Well, I think
1: one is always curiosity and understanding about our culture. And we're not monolithic, just like the African-American community, we're not monolithic. There are definitely different cultures and heritages, uh, but just maybe discovering and being curious about our culture and understanding, you know, the food and the music and our history, just like we are learning about other communities, I think is one way to honor. I think also too, in terms of representation, we are the fastest growing, we're one of the fastest growing populations. Um, we have a large economic power. In fact, if we were our own country, we would be eighth in the world for GDP. But yet we don't have the representation that we also need. And so one of the things that found that was interesting is there are four Latina statewide elected in the whole country, and the whole country. And one U.S. senator that's a Latina. And so we have so much more to ways to go where we need more true representation that matches what our numbers say in the census and our economic buying power. And I think that's true of a lot of other communities too. So we'll keep working on that and you know, making sure that you get civically engaged and support other communities that are coming up in political races and make sure you're civically engaged in your community. And I think that's definitely a way to honor any Hispanic, whether it's Hispanic heritage month, whether it's African-American month, whether it's LGBTQ month, whatever we're celebrating Asian American month is really just learning one, learning about one another and knowing that together we are stronger and united. We can do more and push the envelope and be in more spaces and places that we deserve to be in.
0: That That's a really good point in, in the aftermath of George Floyd, uh, Black and brown communities united to combat systemic racism. What are some things, as you mentioned, you know, there are a lot of voter suppression laws coming up around the country based on what happened with the 2020 election. And how do we go about really creating a more collaborative environment for our Black, Brown, Asian, LGBT community. So to your point, that they really are supporting candidates and issues that support and advocate our various communities.
1: I think there's a lot of historical knowledge to show that I think for one group of people holding us all down and, or saying like, here's a little piece of the pie and we would all fight over the small scraps of the pie when we really should be united to go after the whole pie. And it's been intentional to keep us separated because I think the powers may be seen that if we are separated, uh, that we can't be powerful together and stronger together. And I will say this even this I'm a millennial, but these Gen Zers coming up and a lot of the Gen Zers that were behind, you know, the the marches last summer and about bringing together this Black and Brown Coalition, they really inspire me. I think that our young people are really trying to learn each other's culture and history and are open to it and are leading with empathy and collaboration, which is something that adults could take note of and we could incorporate into our own work as leaders as well. I definitely have a lot of growth to do. I have a lot of learning to do. But I think we need our leaders to want to be able to do that—to be curious, to ask questions, and to build these stronger coalitions because we can't fight all of these battles alone. And a lot of these battles—you know, affordable housing, systematic racism, uh, education, healthcare—all name any part of any major piece of that affects our lives. There's inequities in all of it, right? So us pushing together for more equitable policies and leaders and holding them accountable together, I think is a much better approach than what we've been doing in the past, because in the past, it hasn't worked and we haven't got where we want to be. And so I think these young people are really showing us the way and I'm excited to learn and follow them too.
0: Yes, I have a Gen Z uh, who recently graduated from college is... You know, wanting to set the world on fire. So, I totally understand and am in awe of them as well. So, final question help our audience know what you would like them to know that maybe we might not have covered today and really how to advocate for themselves, for city services, and for their communities. So, one,
1: I would love for you to check out our website, shycityclerk.com. Again, that's shycityclerk.com. And just check out what we're doing. And really, if you are interested in City Key, we do them mobily. You can request us to come out to your community to do a print. I also would love to just put it out there if you're listening that get involved, become civically engaged. There's so much at stake, whether if you're interested in learning more about gift of hope and organ donation and how to be an advocate, that is a great place to start. Or if you're interested in public service or a career in government, please reach out to us at any time. We're happy to share our experiences and we want more young people to get involved. We want more young people of color to get into these roles because you will be the ones that will change the system.
0: It's been great having you, our guest on Let's Talk Hope has been Chicago City Clerk, Anna Valencia. We encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor on giftofhope.org or by texting HOPE to 51555.
2: Hello, Tina Montgomery Supervisor Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a lot of questions about the donation process and how does it work? So we've added some questions to our wheel and we're gonna give it a spin and then answer those questions for the audience. All right, so let's spin the wheel. And the wheel is going round and round and round and round and it has landed on question number seven. The question number seven is, who can be a donor? I get this all the time and I say, never count yourself out. Virtually anyone, regardless of their age, race or gender, can become an organ and tissue donor. Donors are usually healthy people who have suffered a life-ending trauma and are declared legally dead. Medical eligibility depends on many factors and it's determined after the donor's death. So please, never count yourself out. You never know what you can be saving or enhancing someone's life. Well, I want to thank you all for that question. We'll have more questions on our big wheels in our next episode. So stay tuned or come back to hear more donation facts. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please subscribe to Let's Talk Hope. This
0: podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.